Chapter 18 of The Bride of Lammermoor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Bride of Lammermoor by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 18. Sir, stay at home and take an old man's counsel. Seek not to bask you by a stranger's hearth. Our own blue smoke is warmer than their fire. Domestic food is wholesome, though tis homely, and foreign dainties poisonous, though tasteful. The French Courtesan The master of Ravenswood took an opportunity to leave his guests to prepare for their departure, while he himself made the brief arrangements necessary previous to his absence from Wolf's Crag for a day or two, it was necessary to communicate with Caleb on this occasion, and he found that faithful servitor in his sooty and ruinous den, greatly delighted with the departure of their visitors, and computing how long, with good management, the provisions which had been unexpended might furnish the master's table. "'He's nae belly, God, that's a blessing, and Baclaw's gang, that could have eaten a horse behind the saddle.' Cresses or water purpy, and a bit eight cake can serve the master for breakfast as well as Caleb. Then for dinner, there's no muckle left on the spool bane. It will brander, though, it will brander very weel. His triumphant calculations were interrupted by the master, who communicated to him, not without some hesitation, his purpose to ride with the Lord Keeper as far as Ravenswood Castle, and to remain there for a day or two. "'The mercy of heaven forbid!' said the old serving-man, turning as pale as the tablecloth which he was folding up. "'And why, Caleb?' said his master. "'Why should the mercy of heaven forbid my returning the Lord Keeper's visit?' "'Oh, sir,' replied Caleb, "'oh, Mr. Edgar, I am your servant, and it ill becomes me to speak, but I am an old servant. I've served both your father and good sir.' and mine to have seen Lord Randall, your great-grandfather, but that was when I was a bairn. And what of all this, Balderstone? said the master. What can it possibly have to do with my paying some ordinary civility to a neighbour? Oh, Mr. Edgar, that is, my lord, answered the butler. Your ain conscience tells you it isna for your father's son to be neighbouring with the like o' him. It isna for the credit of the family. And ye were yence come to terms, and to gie ye back your ain, e'en though ye should honour his house wi' your alliance, I shouldna say no, for the young lady is a winsome sweet creature. But keep your ain state with him. I ken the race of them weel. They will think the mare o' ye. Why now, you go farther than I do, Caleb, said the master, drowning a certain degree of consciousness in a forced laugh. You are for marrying me into a family that you will not allow me to visit. How this? and you look as pale as death besides. Oh, sir, repeated Caleb again, you would but laugh if I told ye. But Thomas the Rhymer, whose tongue couldna be false, spoke the word of your house that will e'en prove our true if ye go to Ravenswood this day. Oh, that it should e'er have been fulfilled in my time. And what is it, Caleb? said Ravenswood, wishing to soothe the fears of his old servant. Caleb replied, he had never repeated the lines to living mortal. They were told to him by an old priest that had been confessor to Lord Allan's father when the family were Catholic. But mony a time, he said, 
I hae sowed the dark words hour to myself, and, well a day, little did I think of their coming round this day. Truce with your nonsense, and let me hear the doggerel which has put it into your head, said the master impatiently. With a quivering voice and a cheek pale with apprehension, Caleb faltered out the following lines. When the last laird of Ravenswood to Ravenswood shall ride, and woo a dead maiden to be his bride, he shall stable his steed in the Kelpie's flow, and his name shall be lost for evermore. I know the Kelpie's flow well enough, said the master. I suppose at least you mean the quicksand betwixt this tower and Wolf's Hope. But why any man in his senses should stable a steed there? Oh, ever spare onything about that, sir. God forbid we should ken what the prophecy means. But just bide you at hame, and let the strangers ride to Ravenswood by themselves. We have done in yach for them, and to do mair would be mair against the credit of the family than in its favour. Well, Caleb, said the master, I give you the best possible credit for your good advice on this occasion. But as I do not go to Ravenswood to seek a bride, dead or alive, I hope I shall choose a better stable for my horse than the Kelpie's quicksand, and especially as I have always had a particular dread of it since the patrol of dragoons were lost there ten years since. My father and I saw them from the tower struggling against the advancing tide, and they were lost long before any help could reach them. And they deserved it weel, the southern loons, said Caleb. What had they ado, capering on our sands, and hindering a wheen honest folk through bringing on shore a drap brandy? I hae seen them that busy that I would hae fired the old culverin or the demi-sacker that's on the south bartizan at them, only I was feared they might burst in the gang in aff. Caleb's brain was now fully engaged with abuse of the English soldiery and excisemen, so that his master found no great difficulty in escaping from him and rejoining his guests. All was now ready for their departure, and one of the Lord Keeper's grooms, having saddled the master's steed, they mounted in the courtyard. Caleb had, with much toil, opened the double doors of the outward gate, and thereat stationed himself, endeavouring by the reverential and at the same time consequential air which he assumed to supply, by his own gaunt, wasted, and thin person, the absence of whole baronial establishment of porters, warders, and liveried menials. The keeper returned his deep reverence with a cordial farewell, stooping at the same time from his horse, and sliding into the butler's hand the remuneration which in those days was always given by a departing guest to the domestics of the family where he had been entertained. Lucy smiled on the old man with her usual sweetness, bade him adieu, and deposited her guerdon with a grace of action and a gentleness of accent which could not have failed to have won the faithful retainer's heart, but for Thomas the Rhymer and the successful lawsuit against his master. As it was, he might have adopted the language of the Duke in As You Like It. Thou wouldst have better pleased me with this deed, if thou hadst told me of another father. Ravenswood was at the lady's bridal rein, encouraging her timidity, and guiding her horse carefully down the rocky path which led to the moor, when one of the servants announced from the rear that Caleb was calling loudly after them, desiring to speak with his master. Ravenswood felt it would look singular to neglect this summons, although inwardly cursing Caleb for his impertinent officiousness. Therefore he was compelled to relinquish to Mr. Lockhart 
the agreeable duty in which he was engaged, and to ride back to the gate of the courtyard. Here he was beginning, somewhat peevishly, to ask Caleb the cause of his clamour, when the good old man exclaimed, "'Wheesht, sir, wheesht, and let me speak just a word that I couldna say afore folk. There,' putting into his lord's hand the money he had just received, "'there's three gowd pieces, and you'll want siller up by yonder. But stay, wheesht now!' For the master was beginning to exclaim against this transference, "'Never say a word, but just see to get them changed at the first town you ride through, for they are brand new for the mint, and can speckle a wee bit.' "'You forget, Caleb,' said his master, striving to force back the money on his servant, and extricate the bridle from his hold. "'You forget that I have some gold pieces left of my own. Keep these to yourself, my old friend, and once more good day to you. I assure you I have plenty. You know you have managed that our living should cost as little or nothing.' "'Ah, weel,' said Caleb, "'these will serve for you another time. But see ye hainyach, for doubtless, for the credit of the family, there maun be some civility to the servants, and ye maun hae something to mak a show with, when they say, Master, will ye bet a broad piece? Then ye maun tack out your purse, and say, I care na if I do, and tack care no to agree on the articles of the wager, and just put up your purse again, and this is intolerable, Caleb. I really must be gone. And ye will go, then, said Caleb loosening his hold upon the master's cloak, and changing his didactics into a pathetic and mournful tone. "'And you will go, for all I have told you about the prophecy, and the dead bride, and the Kelpie's quicksand. Ah, weel, a willful man maun hae his way. He that will to cooper maun to cooper. But pity of your life, sir, if ye be fowling or shooting in the park. Beware of drinking at the mermaiden's well. He's gone.' He's down the path arrow-flight after her. The head is as clean ten aff the Ravenswood family this day as I would chap the head aff a saibo. The old butler looked long after his master, often clearing away the dew as it rose to his eyes, that he might, as long as possible, distinguish his stately form from those of the other horsemen. Close to her bridal rein, aye, close to her bridal rein, wisely saith the holy man, by this also you may know that woman hath dominion over all men. And without this lass would not our ruin have been altogether fulfilled. With a heart fraught with such sad auguries, did Caleb return to his necessary duties at Wolf's Crag, as soon as he could no longer distinguish the object of his anxiety among the group of riders, which diminished in the distance. In the meantime, the party pursued their route joyfully, Having once taken his resolution, the master of Ravenswood was not of a character to hesitate or pause upon it. He abandoned himself to the pleasure he felt in Miss Ashton's company, and displayed an assiduous gallantry which approached as nearly to gaiety as the temper of his mind and state of his family permitted. The Lord Keeper was much struck with his depth of observation and the unusual improvement he had derived from his studies. Of these accomplishments Sir William Ashton's profession and habits of society rendered him an excellent judge, and he well knew how to appreciate a quality to which he himself was a total stranger, the brief and decided dauntlessness of the master of Ravenswood's fear. In his heart the Lord Keeper rejoiced at having conciliated an adversary so formidable, while with a mixture of pleasure and anxiety 
he anticipated the great things his young companion might achieve were the breath of court favour to fill his sails. What could she desire? he thought, his mind always conjuring up opposition in the person of Lady Ashton to his new prevailing wish. What could a woman desire in a match more than the soppeting of a very dangerous claim, and the alliance of a son-in-law, noble, brave, well-gifted, and highly connected, sure to float whenever the tide set his way, strong, exactly where we are weak, in pedigree and in the temper of a swordsman? Sure, no reasonable woman would hesitate, but, alas, here his argument was stopped by the consciousness that Lady Ashton was not always reasonable, in his sense of the word. To prefer some clownish merce laird to the gallant young nobleman, and to the secure possession of Ravenswood upon terms of easy compromise, it would be the act of a madwoman. Thus pondered the veteran politician, until they reached Bittlebrain's house, where it had been previously settled they were to dine and repose themselves, and prosecute their journey for the afternoon. They were received with an excess of hospitality, and the most marked attention was offered to the master of Ravenswood in particular by their noble entertainers. The truth was that Lord Bittlebrains had obtained his peerage by a great deal of plausibility, an art of building up a character for wisdom upon a very trite style of commonplace eloquence, a steady observation of the changes of the times, and the power of rendering certain political services to those who could best reward them. His lady and he, not feeling quite easy under their new honours, to which use had not adapted their feelings, were very desirous to procure the fraternal countenance of those who were born denizens of the region into which they had been exalted from a lower sphere. The extreme attention which they paid to the master of Ravenswood had its usual effect in exalting his importance in the eyes of the Lord Keeper, who, although he had a reasonable degree of contempt for Lord Bittlebrain's general parts, entertained a high opinion of the acuteness of his judgment in all matters of self-interest. "'I wish Lady Ashton had seen this,' was his internal reflection. "'No man knows so well as Bittlebrain's on which side his bread is buttered, and he fawns on the master like a beggar's messon on a cook.' and my lady, too, bringing forward her beetle-browed missus to skirl and play upon the virginals, as if she said, pick and choose. They are no more comparable to Lucy than an owl is to a signet, and so they may carry their black brows to a farther market. The entertainment being ended, our travellers, who had still to measure the longest part of their journey, resumed their horses, and after the Lord Keeper, the Master, and the Domestics, had drunk Jock and Doris, or the stirrup cup, in the liquors adapted to their various ranks, the cavalcade resumed its progress. It was dark by the time they entered the avenue of Ravenswood Castle, a long straight line leading directly to the front of the house, flanked with huge elm trees, which sighed to the night wind, as if they compassionated the air of their ancient proprietors, who now returned to their shades in the society and almost in the retinue of their new master. Some feelings of the same kind oppressed the mind of the master himself. He gradually became silent and dropped a little behind the lady, at whose bridal reign he had hitherto waited with such devotion. He well recollected the period when at the same hour in the evening he had accompanied his father as that nobleman left, never again to return to it, 
the mansion from which he derived his name and title. The extensive front of the old castle, on which he remembered having often looked back, was then as black as morning weed. The same front now glanced with many lights, some throwing far forward into the night a fixed and stationary blaze, and others hurrying from one window to another, intimating the bustle and busy preparation preceding their arrival, which had been intimated by an avant courier. The contrast pressed so strongly upon the master's heart as to awaken some of the sterner feelings with which he had been accustomed to regard the new lord of his paternal domain, and to impress his countenance with an air of severe gravity, when, alighted from his horse, he stood in the hall no longer his own, surrounded by the numerous menials of its present owner. The Lord Keeper, when about to welcome him with the cordiality which their late intercourse seemed to render proper, became aware of the change, refrained from his purpose, and only intimated the ceremony of reception by a deep reverence to his guest, seeming thus delicately to share the feelings which predominated on his brow. Two upper domestics, bearing each a huge pair of silver candlesticks, now marshalled the company into a large saloon, or withdrawing-room, where new alterations impressed upon Ravenswood the superior wealth of the present inhabitants of the castle. The mouldering tapestry, which in his father's time had half covered the walls of this stately apartment, and half streamed from them in tatters, had given place to a complete finishing of wainscot, the cornice of which, as well as the frames of the various compartments, were ornamented with festoons of flowers and with birds, which, though carved in oak, seemed, such was the art of the chisel, actually to swell their throats and flutter their wings. Several old family portraits of armed heroes of the House of Ravenswood, together with a suit or two of old armour and some military weapons, had given place to those of King William and Queen Mary, or Sir Thomas Hope and Lord Stair, two distinguished Scottish lawyers. The pictures of the Lord Keeper's father and mother were also to be seen, the latter sour, shrewish, and solemn, in her black hood and close pinners, with a book of devotion in her hand, the former exhibiting beneath a black silk Geneva cowl or skull-cap, which sat as close to the head as if it had been shaven, a pinched, peevish, puritanical set of features, terminating in a hungry, reddish, peaked beard, forming on the whole a countenance in the expression of which the hypocrite seemed to contend with the miser and the knave. "'And it is to make room for such scarecrows as these,' thought Ravenswood, "'that my ancestors have been torn down from the walls which they erected.' He looked at them again, and as he looked, the recollection of Lucy Ashton, for she had not entered the apartment with them, seemed less lively in his imagination. There were also two or three Dutch drolleries, as the pictures of Ostad and Teniers were then termed, with one good painting of the Italian school. There was besides a noble full length of the Lord Keeper in his robes of office, placed beside his lady in silk and ermine, a haughty beauty, bearing in her looks all the pride of the house of Douglas from which she was descended. The painter, notwithstanding his skill, overcome by the reality, or perhaps from a suppressed sense of humour, had not been able to give the husband on the canvas that air of awful rule and right supremacy which indicates the full possession of domestic authority. It was obvious at the first glance 
that despite mace and gold frogs the lord keeper was somewhat henpecked the floor of this fine saloon was laid with rich carpets huge fires blazed in the double chimneys and ten silver sconces reflecting with their bright plates the lights which they supported made the whole seem as brilliant as day would you choose any refreshment master said sir william ashton not unwilling to break the awkward silence he received no answer the master being so busily engaged in marking the various changes which had taken place in the apartment that he hardly heard the lord keeper address him a repetition of the offer of refreshment with the addition that the family meal would be presently ready compelled his attention and reminded him that he acted a weak perhaps even a ridiculous part in suffering himself to be overcome by the circumstances in which he found himself he compelled himself therefore to enter into conversation with sir william ashton with as much appearance of indifference as he could well command you will not be surprised sir william that i am interested in the changes you have made for the better in this apartment in my father's time after our misfortunes compelled him to live in retirement it was little used except by me as a playroom when the weather would not permit me to go abroad in that recess was my little workshop where i treasured the few carpenter's tools which old caleb procured for me and taught me to use there in yonder corner under that handsome silver sconce i kept my fishing rods and hunting poles bows and arrows i have a young birkie said the lord keeper willing to change the tone of the conversation of much the same turn he is never happy save when he is in the field i wonder he is not here here lockhart send william shaw for mr henry i suppose he is as usual tied to lucy's apron-string that foolish girl master draws the whole family after her at her pleasure even this allusion to his daughter though artfully thrown out did not recall ravenswood from his own topic we were obliged to leave he said some armour and portraits in this apartment may i ask where they have been removed to why answered the keeper with some hesitation the room was fitted up in our absence and cadent arma togai is the maxim of lawyers you know i am afraid it has been here somewhat too literally complied with i hope i believe they are safe i am sure i gave orders may i hope that when they are recovered and put in proper order you will do me the honour to accept them at my hand as an atonement for their accidental derangement the master of ravenswood bowed stiffly and with folded arms again resumed his survey of the room henry a spoilt boy of fifteen burst into the room and ran up to his father think of lucy papa she has come home so cross and so fractious that she will not go down to the stable to see my new pony that bob wilson brought from the mull of galloway i think you were very unreasonable to ask her said the keeper then you are as cross as she is answered the boy but when mamma comes home she'll claw up both your mittens hush your impertinence you little forward imp said his father where is your tutor gone to a wedding at dunbar i hope he'll get a haggis to his dinner and he began to sing the old scottish song there was a haggis in dunbar falderall in the mony better and few war falderall etc i am much obliged to mr cordery for his attentions said the lord keeper 
and pray who has had the charge of you while i was away mr henry norman and bob wilson for by my own self a groom and a gamekeeper and your own silly self proper guardians for a young advocate why you will never know any statutes but those against shooting red deer killing salmon and-and speaking of red game said the young scapegrace interrupting his father without scruple or hesitation norman has shot a buck and i showed the branches to lucy and she says they have but eight times and she says that you killed a deer with lord bittlebrain's hounds while you were went away and do you know she says it had ten times is it true it may have had twenty henry for what i know but if you go to that gentleman he can tell you all about it go speak to him henry it is the master of ravenswood while they conversed thus the father and son were standing by the fire and the master having walked towards the upper end of the apartment stood with his back towards them apparently engaged in examining one of the paintings the boy ran up to him and pulled him by the skirt of the coat with the freedom of a spoilt child saying i say sir if you will please to tell me but when the master turned round and henry saw his face he became suddenly and totally disconcerted walked two or three steps backward and still gazed on ravenswood with an air of fear and wonder which had totally banished from his features their usual expression of pert vivacity come to me young gentleman said the master and i will tell you all i know about the hunt go to the gentleman henry said his father you are not used to be so shy but neither invitation nor exhortation had any effect on the boy on the contrary he turned round as soon as he had completed his survey of the master and walking as cautiously as if he had been treading upon eggs he glided back to his father and pressed as close to him as possible ravenswood to avoid hearing the dispute betwixt the father and the overindulged boy thought it most polite to turn his face once more towards the pictures and pay no attention to what they said why do you not speak to the master you little fool said the lord keeper i'm afraid said henry in a very low tone of voice afraid you goose said his father giving him a slight shake by the collar what makes you afraid what makes him to like the picture of sir malise ravenswood then said the boy whispering what picture you natural said his father i used to think you only a scapegrace but i believe you will turn out a born idiot i tell you it is the picture of old malice of ravenswood and he is as like it as if he had lopen out of the canvas and it is up in the old baron's hall that the maids launder the clothes in and it has armour and not a coat like the gentleman and he has not a beard and whiskers like the picture and it has another kind of thing about the throat and no band-strings as he has and-and why should not the gentleman be like his ancestor you silly boy said the lord keeper ay but if he is come to chase us all out of the castle said the boy and has twenty men at his back in disguise and is come to say with a hollow voice i bide my time and is to kill you on the hearth as malise did to the other man and whose blood is still to be seen hush nonsense said the lord keeper not himself much pleased to hear these disagreeable coincidences forced on his notice master here comes lockhart to say supper is served and at the same instant lucy entered at another door having changed her dress since her return 
the exquisite feminine beauty of her countenance, now shaded only by a profusion of sunny tresses, the sylph-like form, disencumbered of her heavy riding-skirt and mantled in azure silk, the grace of her manner and of her smile, cleared, with a celerity which surprised the master himself, all the gloomy and unfavourable thoughts which had for some time overclouded his fancy. In those features, so simply sweet, he could trace no alliance with the pinched visage of the peak-bearded, black-capped Puritan, or his starched, withered spouse, with the craft expressed in the Lord Keeper's countenance, or the haughtiness which predominated in that of his lady. And while he gazed on Lucy Ashton, she seemed to be an angel descended on earth, unallied to the coarse mortals among whom she deigned to dwell for a season. Such is the power of beauty over a youthful and enthusiastic fancy. End of chapter 18